Stand before you now as honestly as I know how. Broken by the days gone by, Spirit, help my soul to rise. To the heart of God Your heart, oh God Is all I want Will they say that it's impossible
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want us all to say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life.
everyone. Good evening. Great to be together. Jesus is so worthy. There's no greater treasure than Jesus. It's a joy to praise him together. Hey, before we dive into God's word, just a couple things I want to point your attention to out of the, the bulletin. Um, one is next Saturday. Do you guys like water? <laughs> so Evan's got a plan to float down the creek. Um, so if you look in your bulletin, there's some more details. So if you're not doing anything Saturday morning, that could be a fun ride. <laughs> we'll see if the, if the current, it seems to be going down, so it probably won't be too fast, but I think it will be a wonderful time. And then the other thing I want to point your attention to is Evan's going to be hosting a retreat uh, in August, uh, 24th to 26th. And so if uh, you're not uh, doing anything that weekend or if you want to set aside some time, I think it would be well worth your time. And you can talk to Evan and there's some details uh, there in your bulletin that you can look at as well. So I'm going to read something out of the scripture and I, I invite you just to listen not going to be on the screen, but just just listen to these words from the prophet Jeremiah. Judah's sin is engraved with an iron seal, inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of the altar. And even their children remember their altars and pass their poles beside the spreading trees and on the high hills and my mountain and your land and your wealth and all your treasures. I will give away as plunder together with all your high places because of sin throughout your country. Through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance I gave you. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you do not know. For you have kindled my anger and it will burn forever. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in you, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in a wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water. It sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. And its leaves are always green and has no worries in a year of drought. And it never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Like a partridge that hatches eggs that did not lay are those who gain riches by unjust means. When their lives are half gone, their riches will desert them, and in the end they will prove to be fools. A glorious throne exalted from the beginning, the place of your sanctuary. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Heal me, Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are the one I praise. They keep saying to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it now be fulfilled. I have not run away from being your shepherd. You know I have not desired the day of despair. What passes my lips is open before you. Do not be a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let my persecutors be put to shame, but keep me from shame. 
Let them be terrified, but keep me from terror. Bring on them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. Jeremiah 17. (laughs) The prophet Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. And you can see from these words, which are hard, Jeremiah said, Lord, you're going to send me to people who aren't going to want to hear what I have to say. But God said, I'm going to turn your face like flint, and I'm going to give you strength to speak the truth. And so Jeremiah lived in a time of great anguish, despair, and destruction. The reason we go to Jeremiah today is because we're in our series about the un- 12 unshakable truths in the Bible. And so we've been going through the summer looking at um, some beautiful truths of the Bible about who God is, about who we are, what God is doing in our world. And uh, we've heard about the resurrection, the hope of what Jesus has provided in the resurrection. We've heard about so many amazing truths. But today, we're going to look at the reality of evil, the reality of evil. We all know that evil exists, but we tend to think it's out there. And I think the Bible is very clear that we live in a very broken world. And one of the main points I'm going to be bringing before you tonight is not that evil's just out there, but it's right here. It's not just out there, but the reality is it is out there, and, and we live in a world that wants to deny it many times. But the reality is we see suffering all around us. We see the suffering of people. We see the suffering of creation. We see suffering through the actions of others and through people's own actions. And so every time we see a hungry child, a a patient in the hospital, a maimed soldier, we see an abused child or a broken marriage or an orphan child, a bullied person, or every broken relationship, every worker that is underpaid, every homeless beggar, every drunk, every act of violence, every school shooting, terrorist attack, every lie, every person that's greedy, every accident, broken bones, broken skin, every failure that's shamed in the media, every suicide, every lonely person, every broken heart points to this reality that there's evil in our world. And we experience that. We see that all around us. Um, I appreciate what Augustine said. He said evil is a flaw or a a lack or deficiency, but here's the key. It's, It's in something that's inherently good. And in all that list I read, maybe something resonates with your own experience with suffering or experiencing loss in your own life or in something you've seen around you. But, but everything in our world screams that there is goodness, right? We, we, and we want to hold on to that goodness because we see it. And the Bible tells us very clearly that God made the world good. He, he created and he said, it's good. <laughs> but the reality is the Bible says sin entered the world. And the sin brought a curse, and it brought destruction, and it brought suffering and pain. And so what Augustine is saying is that everything that's inherently good, there's a, there's a deep flaw, there's this deep lack, this deep deficiency, and that's what's evil in our world. I remember as a kid growing up in, in South America, I, I, I love food, and food is a good thing, and water is a good thing, and I would drink right out of the hose, and then... A few weeks later, I would be in a lot of pain, and I'd have to go to the doctor and take these big pills because I had parasites growing in me. <laughs> and, 
the reality is water and food is good, but there's this thing called parasites, bacteria, that take something that's inherently good and it causes suffering, right? It causes destruction, sickness, even death. And so I use that as an illustration of what evil is. It's a, it's a corruption. It's a distortion of what our world was created to be. This world was created to be a place of joy, a place of flourishing, a place where people could live in God's presence. But all that was broken. All that was destroyed by this, this parasite of evil, sin. The Bible tells us that the, the author of evil is not God. The Bible says there is no evil in God. God is perfect and holy and pure and lovely and beautiful. Everything that's attractive and beautiful, everything our hearts long for, is ultimately an arrow pointing to God. Because that's who God is. He's, he's wonderful. He's, he's, he's everything that we long for. But the reality the Bible teaches us is that evil came into this world through the devil. From the very beginning, the devil resisted God's glory and said, I want it for myself. And so um, he's depicted as a snake in Genesis who comes and tempts Adam and Eve. And Jesus said that the devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And so whenever we see evil, this flaw in what's inherently good, it's really a work of the devil. And so every, every work of suffering, of anguish, and hurt in our life is a work of the devil, because that's what he does. In fact, Jesus said, the devil, he only speaks lies. And so all the lies in our own lives that have ultimately resulted in destruction and destruction around us is rooted in who the devil is. That's what, that's what he does. He came to destroy. But Jesus said something incredible. He said, I have come to destroy the work of the devil. You see, God in his goodness wasn't content just to stand back and watch the curse infect everything. He wasn't, he wasn't able to just watch those parasites destroy <laughs> this beautiful creation that was good. He took action. And God's action was to send Jesus into this world. But from the very beginning, there's been a battle. In fact, the Bible is very clear that it's a battle. Um, all the way from the beginning. And it's not a battle between two egos. It's not a battle between good and evil as if, as if there are two equal forces. The Bible teaches us that God is absolutely sovereign and in control and all-powerful. But God in his sovereignty has allowed this plan of struggle and battle to exist in our world. But he's allowing it for a greater purpose, for a greater glory. Because what the devil came to destroy, God is going to redeem and restore and bring about even a greater beauty and a greater glory. It's a beautiful story. And the Bible is the revelation of the story of God. God's work of restoring what has been lost, of recreating what has died. And God is making that reality true in our own lives and in all the world around us. And that's the beautiful story of the gospel. So I want to um, tell you guys uh, a story about someone. But before I do that, I just want to point our attention to the words of Jeremiah in 17. Where does he start with evil? Because 
when we ever talk about the evil in the world, a lot of times it's easy to point our fingers outward, right? And even as I've talked this morning, I've talked about, or this evening, I've talked about situations that we think outward focus, right, of, of people suffering, abuse, violence, and, and it's really easy to point, yeah, those people are bad, right? So we, we talk about bad people and good people. Well, that's not biblical. The Bible doesn't present uh, there being good people or bad people. The Bible presents all people made in the image of God, but all people under the curse of sin. The Bible says very clearly, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so there is no one who hasn't been touched and tainted by evil, by sin. And what does Jeremiah start with? He says, this sin is engraved where? In your heart. And so... Whenever we talk about evil, it's really easy to point our fingers. We can look at incredible examples, like you, you just name the names Hitler, and everyone says, yeah, that, that's evil, right? And so, and that's true. But what's harder for us to do is to turn the mirror on ourselves, right? Because we can always look around and find bad people or people we say are bad. But when we turn the mirror on ourselves, as Jeremiah does as a prophet, holding the mirror up to the people of Israel saying, look at your own heart. Look at your own actions. Look at the results of your own life. The conclusion is there is evil within us. And so the reality that we have to grapple with, with what the Bible is telling us, this grand story, is really a story about our hearts. Not, not just someone else's heart, but our hearts. We have to grapple with that reality in us. That evil isn't just out there. Now I'm going to uh, continue to quote Augustine here because he wrote a book called Confessions because he came to this point where he realized he needed a savior. He needed the redemption of God. But he says, but you, Lord, while he was speaking, turned me back towards myself. And so Augustine, he was looking out at all the problems of the world, but then he began to look at himself, taking me from behind my own back where I had put myself all the time that I preferred not to see myself. And isn't that so true? We, we don't like to look at our own hearts <laughs> very often because when we do that, we see the reality of our condition. And he says, and you set me there before my own face that I might see how vile I was, how twisted and unclean and spotted and adulterous. I saw myself and I was horrified, but there was no way to flee from myself. You were setting me face to face with myself, forcing me upon my own sight that I might see my iniquity and loathe it. I had known it, but I had pretended not to see it and had deliberately looked the other way and let go, let it go from my own mind. I, I think Augustine is using words to describe so well the human condition. Like, we are really good at seeing other people's faults, other people's problems, right? Um, when, when my kids fight, they're usually fighting about what their sibling did <laughs> they said he did that he did that right and and i can look at that in my own kids but it's in my own heart right where i can so easily look at myself and say i'm okay they're the ones who need help but augustine did what the bible ultimately calls all of us to he looked at his own condition and he realized the brokenness the evil in this world wasn't just out there it was here and I think this is the great struggle for religion, because in religion, you, you want to kind of build this, this, this 
aura, this persona that, hey, somehow I've arrived with God and, and I got it all together. And so our job is, in a sense, build this fortress of protection to keep all the bad out there. And that is so dangerous. That's uh, one of the, the, the lies of Satan is he wants us somehow to see that we think that we've achieved something on our own merits and our own strength, and somehow we're better than others. And that is so destructive. That's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that we have to look at our own condition, our own sinful condition, and we have to grapple with that. We have to come to that place of utter brokenness, utter realization of the reality of what my actions, attitudes, mindset, thoughts have done to my own life and to others, how my actions and words have affected others. And it's when we do that that we begin to encounter the life of God. It's only then. Jesus said something powerful. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So it's only when we, in a sense, come to the end of ourselves that we encounter the glory and the beauty and the life of God to save us from this condition. And that's why I want to tell you a story. I have a, a picture I want to show you of, okay, of this couple, but I'm not going to tell you a story about them, but uh, someone who came from the same people group as them from Guatemala. Um, one day when I was in Minnesota, a man came to me and he had another man in tow and he said, this guy has got a big problem. You need to help him. And then he took off. <laughs> and I said, uh-oh. <laughs> if he's, he's not even willing to stick around to help it must be a bad situation. So he took off, and this guy um, had come from Guatemala, and I speak Spanish, uh, but this guy, he was from the people group called the, the Quichua, and so he spoke a little bit of Spanish, but very little broken Spanish. He spoke a, a, a different indigenous language. Um, so it took a long time, but uh, I finally got a handle on what the situation was, and basically, um, with tears streaming down his face, he said, uh, can you help me get my daughter? And um, what I found out is he had been living here, but his daughter had was coming from Guatemala, but had somehow gotten separated and gotten detained. And he thought she was somewhere in California. And California is a big state. There's a lot of people. <laughs> so I said, I mean, I don't know how we're going to find her, but I told him I'm, I'm committed to helping you uh, find her. And uh, partly because I had... Um, had my own kids, and there was something about this father's heart for his daughter that just resonated deep in my own heart, uh, putting myself in that situation. And so through a series of events and, and phone calls, I, I f we found her. Um, she was in a, a home, uh, not a home, uh, like a, a government detention facility for minors. And so just a place full of kids, and she was, I think, maybe 16. Um, so we found her, but she had never seen a doctor in her whole life. And, um, and she seemed perfectly healthy on the outside. But in the first medical exam, they found that she had a very serious heart disorder. They, they found out she had a tear in her heart. And, and the doctor, I talked to him, he said, basically, she will, she will live perfectly normal, healthy, what would seem on the outside, but one day, she's just going to drop dead. She's just going to, her heart's just going to stop working on one day. He said, it could be two days. It could be um, three years. But he said, we don't know. But she, she is, 
he's, he's at the point of death at any moment. And there, but he said, the good news is there's a surgery we can do to fix it. And he said, we can repair this through open heart surgery and he will be able to live a full, normal life. So I called the father and he came in and, and we sat down. And, and so I had to describe the situation. And I said, your daughter is alive, she's doing well, but she has a really <laughs> serious heart condition. And she, she could die at any moment. She needs a surgery. And I'll never forget this. He looked at me and he said, he said I will pay for that surgery. I, I, I'm going to pay for it. And I said, you don't understand. This is a really expensive surgery. And, and he worked as a, he had no education. He, he worked as an assistant for, for a mechanic. And so he made maybe two, three dollars an hour. And, and he said, I will work the rest of my life to save my daughter. And I looked at him and said, you, you, you can't, you can work your whole life and you cannot pay for this surgery. So we, we prayed. I said, I, I know of a God <laughs> who can do miracles, who can do amazing things. And so we prayed together. And I had very little hope that she would get this surgery. But um, something amazing happened. God put me in contact with a, a surgeon in Washington, D.C., who knew another surgeon in California. And they worked it out where a surgeon would do this surgery for his then I remember meeting again with this father, and I said, I, I got good news. Um, someone provided for this surgery to save your daughter. And, uh, and he was so happy. He was so overjoyed, and there were, there were many tears there. And the best day was when he and his daughter were reunited, and uh, I got to, to be with them, and, and uh, we talked about how God was so good, so gracious, and how uh, he had worked out this whole situation for them, and they were praising God so much. But I tell you that story today because it's a story of, it's our story, and it's the story of evil in our world, is the reality, just like that father, we want to fix the brokenness, right, in our own lives, around us, but just like that father, we don't have what it takes to pay the bill. We can't. There's nothing we can do. And that's what Jeremiah is describing in verse 17, the true condition of, of humanity where, where we're, we're in this, this rut of curse and sin and brokenness. And that's why Jeremiah is weeping. And it's the reality of that father saying, I'll do anything to save my daughter, but he couldn't. And that's our condition. We can't. We can't fix our own hearts. We can't fix the evil in our world. There's no way we can do it. In Jeremiah 17, it says, verse 7, 8, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the streams. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always open and green. It has no worries in the year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. So what is God doing in our world? He's, he's creating new people that are like that tree planted by the streams. And he's doing it through Jesus Christ. And that's, that's the essence of the gospel, is God sent Jesus in this world to, 
be, in a sense, be that surgeon to give us new hearts, whole hearts, to free us from death, from sin, and to make us into those trees that won't wither in a broken world. And so the salvation of Jesus isn't just for someday when we die, it's right now. God is starting to make things new in us. We are being made new. And that evil, broken hearts that we have are being repaired and restored and made whole so that we could love God and love, as we sang already just now, we can love God and we can love others the way we were meant to live. Instead of harming and hurting and destroying, we become agents of grace, agents of mercy, agents of compassion, of peace, of hope, of joy. And God is doing that in our own hearts. He's doing it in my heart. And so as we grapple with the realities of where, who we are, where we're at, we ha- like Augustine, we have to come to that point of just like, I can't do it anymore. Like that father who said, I, w- I would pay it if I could, but I can't. <laughs> we have to get to that point. But when we do and we fall on our knees and we say, God, do what only you can do. My trust is in you. My hope is in you. Jesus, you are my only salvation. Then God begins a new work in our lives. And then I want to end with this passage, and we have it on this screen. He said in Revelation 21, this is John, he said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away And there was no longer any sea, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. And in fact, I just want to pause. When it says, I didn't see any sea, that's a reference to evil, chaos, darkness, okay, disorder. That's a a reference to evil. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty... I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is eternal life. Beth, would you put that picture of uh, the cross again up there? Here's the the key as we read a passage like this, the grand vision of God making everything new, that God is just. God is just. And he is love. How can we reconcile this reality of God's incredible work of redeeming, saving, rescuing, restoring, making everything new? And then the reality of, of, of evil and brokenness, because the reality is not everyone will recognize their need. Not everyone will bend their knee to God. And so in God's love and justice, he provides on the cross. So on the cross, Jesus satisfies all the wrong that I've done, all the wrong you have done, all 
the evil that is in our own hearts, Jesus pays for it on the cross. But some, some will say no, and they will not receive the gift of God. And that's why in Revelation 21, as we see this beautiful picture of a, a new heaven, a new earth, no more tears, no more pain, no more death, there's also the reality that some will reject that gift, and they will be a day of judgment. Heaven, uh, Evan preached about this a few weeks ago, that the reality of hell. And this is, the, this is the reality that we live in, this tension of this life, knowing that God is going to restore all things, but not all people know or understand the gift of God. And that's why when we see evil in our world, we don't stand idly by. <laughs> we're, we're not passive in this because God has been active in this. As he has pursued us, not of any good or work that we have done, as he's made us new, what he does is he creates in us a longing for others to experience it, for others to know it. And so we become, as it says in Romans 10, the ones who are sent to make known the reality of what God is doing, that God came to save us, that Jesus came to save, that he came to satisfy the justice of God. And so the cross is the epitome of God destroying evil in our world, exposing the evil in our own hearts because the cross is ugly and shameful and yet God in his grace forgives and he makes new and he brings hope of new life. And so what I want to challenge us with tonight as we close as the worship team comes up who do we put our trust in as we encounter the evil in our own hearts and the evil in this world will we put our trust in Christ Will we allow him to accomplish that work on the cross for us? And then secondarily, will we trust him enough to share this message with others? Even though some people will reject us. Some will say, say that, yeah, I just, I just don't believe that. You know, people will reject that. And Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you as well. But we have an obligation to share this incredible message that Jesus came into the world to bring the love of God and the justice of God and to bring about an end to all the devil's work.